Open your Bibles to, I know we're in Titus, but you can keep your finger there, Titus 1. But tonight we're going to be talking about the great need of leadership. And I want to start by having a, just a simple reading. Simple reading out of Revelation chapter 3. beginning in verse 14. And I would like us to stand as I read this. And to the angel, the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say is the Amen, the faithful and the true witness the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold, neither cold nor hot, excuse me. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold tried, refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You may be seated. I don't think there's ever been a time in the history of the church that is in a greater time of need than right now. We are obviously living in this day and age uh, of the Laodicean church. For those of you who uh, believe these are messages to the church throughout the church age, it seems rather fitting, I would say. It's to We can all bear witness that the church generally speaking, seems to be lukewarm. And we uh, have an attitude that of self-righteousness that we have no need because, after all, we can buy what we need. And this self-righteousness that's within the church, and I'm speaking in general terms, I mean, there are, you know, very much exceptions within the church, but it, just as a general overview, this is the Lord's analysis and not mine. <laughs> And I think it's pretty evident with what we see today. And he is pictured here standing outside the church, wanting to come in, desiring to come in, but being the gentleman that he is, does not come in until he's invited. I stand at the door and knock. The only way that he can come in is if he's heard knocking and if he's invited. And I'm... I want to be part of the group that opens the door and invites him in. Look at the future we have if we overcome. We're going to rule and reign with him, share with him. Now, it's hard for us to really fathom and take all that in and what it means, but nonetheless, and as you read through these two chapters, two and three, these messages to the churches, you know, he he always addresses himself in such a way as probably something that is lacking, something in his nature and his character that is lacking in the church that he's addressing. And in this case, faithful and true witness. There's a lack of faithfulness in this particular church and during this time. People are more faithful to what they want to do rather than what's, God would have them to do is is the sense there. And because of that, we don't really have a, a very good witness to the world. We're not really a, a true witness as as he would have us to be. 
Now, some of you are kind of wondering the beginning of the creation of God. The word beginning there is archaic. It's just preeminence is what it means. Uh, he's the preeminent one of of the God-man. You know, the, the Spirit of God filled Jesus, you know, uh, as well. And so it's the the preeminent one in the works that God is doing with the children of men is kind of the, not the first one created. Jesus was not created. So uh, there are those who like to, <clears throat> oh, well, look right here. Jesus was created. He's angelic. And no, that's not what that means. Just to, just to clarify. But I wanted to set that up. And let's go back to Titus. I wanted to read that to sort of set up this because I'm not going to go into uh, a lot of detail necessarily. Uh, I just want to follow what the scripture says about the qualifications for leadership in the church and the responsibility of leadership in the church. Um, as I said, there's never been a time where there's a need for leadership in the church. And I, as I indicated, I believe that the reason being is the lack of faithfulness to God. Think about how faithful the Lord is to us. And it's it's got to be heartbreaking to the Lord, you know. I looked, uh, you know, I looked for someone in Ezekiel's day, you know, as it was, <clears throat> as the Scripture tells us, for someone to stand the gap, but I found no one. Wow, that's a scary thought. God's looking for someone that He can delegate authority to. God's looking for someone that He can use. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants all. He wants his body to be strong and vibrant and 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 flourish in things, and it takes leadership to do that. So as we read this here, uh, let's go five through nine and look at the qualifications of the leadership. Titus one five. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who, are con- who contradict. So, as you remember, Crete is that island out in the middle of the Mediterranean, sort of uh, southwest of of Asia Minor, you know, Turkey today. It's it's still there, by the way, in the island. And Paul, we know that they had a stop there when he was in, uh, a prisoner uh, going to Rome uh, you know, before they had the shipwreck and all. And you can find some of that um, in Acts. Uh, I think it's chapter 27. It talks about that little ordeal that they had there. But at some point in time, it appears that Paul and the ministry team, which would have, um, Timothy could have been uh, already in Ephesus at this point, so next up is Titus. Now Titus, I remember as we studied last week, uh, Titus is a Gentile. He uh, He's not been circumcised. Uh, you know, Timothy was uh, had a Gentile father, a Jewish mother, so he ended up being circumcised. There's all kinds of things that were going on in the early church that had to do with these Judaizers and the people that were uh, against the ministry that Paul uh, was doing. And so uh, it, it appears that the ministry team had landed at some point in time um, during uh, Paul's ministry, and now he's leaving Titus there to to finish the work that had not been completed. Um, that is... Uh, what he's saying there in verse 5, to set in order. That is a, actually it's a medical term uh, that that was used in in the first century there, uh, to set something straight. So if you had a a dislocation in a bone or or something along those lines, uh, you'd reset that broken limb uh, so it could heal. 
Uh, so you, you need to straighten things out that are crooked, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, so anytime you have people, <laughs> and I may say fallen people, which is us, we're broken people, we're uh, needy people. Uh, anytime you have a group of those kind of people assembled together, you're going to have needs. You're going to have to have leadership to direct uh, the activities that take place. And and in that, there needs to be tender oversight and direction given by the leadership. Uh, and this, uh, I love um, the attitude. See, it it is the character that Paul has in mind here when, he, when it comes to the appointment of people. Uh, the result of the character, if present, will result in good work. Without character, there cannot be good work. And so we... Uh, address character first and if if you've had any length of time in walking with the lord the lord is more concerned about who we are than what we do now it's important what we do because that's really kind of an expression of what's on the inside of us but the thing that god is working at in our lives is to develop us to mature us to make us more like his son jesus and so uh, character is crucial especially in the area of leadership uh, delegating this authority to Titus. If Paul would have had the time, he would have done this. But because of, for whatever reason, Paul is no longer able to be there, so he's now delegating this authority. Now let's think about that for a moment. All authority of mankind, no matter what level it is, is a delegated authority. It didn't. Authority never originated with us. God is the ultimate authority, and he has delegated the earth. He put the earth under the dominion of men. He delegated the authority and gave it to us as mankind to make this place just like heaven. That's really the God's plan from the very beginning, way back in the garden, right? First thing he did with Adam when, after he created him was to give him a job. And then he knew he couldn't do it by himself, and so he gave him a help meet, which is important. And then he told him to be fruitful and multiply because it's a pretty big planet and you're going to need lots of help and lots of kids along the way. But I made this garden for you. Here's an example. Now I want you to do this to the rest of the planet. And it's going to take a long time to do that, so get at it. You know, that was pretty much the dominion. And so whatever, everybody wants to blame God for the problems of the world right now. Well, if God would have done this, and why does God allow that? Hold on. You know not of what you speak of. We have been delegated authority from God to make this place like the Garden of Eden. He'll give us the strength and the power to do that. It's not up to God to do this. It's up to us to do it under his guidance and his empowerment. Now, obviously, the disobedience that our first parents committed, bringing on the curse of their own sin nature and then the curse of the earth, has made that task unbelievably harder, immeasurably harder. But it doesn't change the mission. It's still the same mission. Take dominion over the work, till the ground, tend, tend it and till it. That's your job. That's my job. And in doing so, we are imaging God. We're representing Him. We're His representatives, His ambassadors in doing so. And so this this carries on into the church, this whole thing of delegated authority. Nobody, ha The Pope doesn't have any supreme authority. Well, I won't go any further than that, but there, there could be a lot said about that, that whole issue. Titus is given the authority to go to these local assemblies. Now, it would be kind of like, kind of like our churches of a small fellowship here. Uh, in that day, there were home churches, home fellowships, and you would have, or the synagogues. You know, if you had 10 Jewish people in that community, then you could have a synagogue. And that was really kind of a nice little setup for Paul. That's how he was able to be so successful going around, uh, you know, the world at that time. He'd just go to the Jewish synagogue, preach to the Jews, whoever got saved. Okay, let's start a church. We had an assembly of Christians, completed Jews. 
and, and the Gentiles that want to join, that's great. And if the Jews don't want to hear, then we're going to speak to the Gentiles. So we're going to have a church one way or the other. Those who find, who are born again and love Jesus. And he just went from city to city to city, wherever the Lord led him doing this. And so, uh, and as he went along the way, he established leadership. Now, it was probably a little easier in that day to establish a leadership since they already had a functionality going on with the Jewish synagogues. They sort of had a, a little template in place, which is, now you just need to you tweak it a little bit, right? And, but Paul's very careful on the instructions that he gives uh, Titus here. Look at the men that you appoint. The ones that lead have to have certain character qualities in order for the church to actually image the Lord properly and to lead other people. Because if certain character qualities are not in place, we're not talking about perfection here. There isn't that you don't see that in the scriptures. You see character that's developed over time. But let's just go through this list here. It's pretty straightforward. It's very similar, and I'll point out there's only a couple differences between this list of the qualifications for leadership, elders, and uh, what's in First Timothy three. Verse one, which is the same, all these are same. I'll just point out the ones that are a little bit different, or something that Paul's added in this particular letter to Titus. First one is that we see um, in verse six is blameless, and the idea is above reproach. Something in a sense that you you are unaccusable. There's nothing that they can accuse you of being or doing uh, that is immoral or wrong. Uh, again, this is it's kind of like. Uh, if you are handling hot pans or dishes that are on the oven, it's always nice to have a handle. Because when you have a handle, you can grasp it and you can pick up on it and you can move it where you want. And the idea there is, is similar in the sense that you have no handle in your character that somebody can pick up on and sort of move you and intimidate you and shift you and manipulate you into doing something that you know you, you're, you shouldn't be doing because there's something in your character that's not as it should be. And that's, so that's the idea, the idea of being above reproach. Now he says this twice. He, he mentions this characteristic twice. Uh, there, and then verse 7, a bishop. Uh, uh, you have the two different words there. Uh, the episcopus, the overseer, and then the presbyteros, the elder man or both, but they're inter- sort of interchangeable terms for the most part. So all overseers, episcopus, are presbyteros. They're all elders, but not all elders would be necessarily overseers over the, the church itself. So that if you want to make any kind of distinction, and you can kind of split some hairs with that one, uh, and it's really not worth it. It's just the idea uh, is that you're leading in uh, the church. Secondly, the husband of one wife. Literally a, a one-woman man. And this speaks to the fidelity within the church. You don't want a guy that's you know has several wives and sort of has you know um, maybe a a, a a problem with lust. Let's just be very frank here. You know, I, I think you have to have those things have to be uh, under control. We'll see that comes under another category that he mentions here. But the husband of one wife. Now, um, there are just debate. Um, you know, can a divorced man be a, an elder? Can um, a man who has wife uh, passed away, can he become an elder? And so there's a little bit of debate there. He can uh, only um, have one wife, you know, so that he can't be remarried type of thing. Um, you can squeeze squeeze that a lot of different ways. And I think it comes down to um, the people that are being served. I don't think I don't think you can be dogmatic about uh, any one of those positions. Husband of one wife, obviously, you're thinking one at a time. <laughs> of course, I know I don't have polygamy, polygamy going on here. Um, there are some people that will be stumbled by a divorced man. Um, leading the church. There are those that might even be stumbled by um, a man who uh, is taking the reins that uh, has been married after his wife deceased. 
So you're going to find, people can find fault with lots of different things. I, I think it's, when a man is called to a position of leadership, the way I have approached it is the way I was taught, is rather than appointing people and giving them a title, those men are already walking in what they are. So in other words, if someone is pointing to leadership, it's because they're already doing it. I don't put someone in a position and hope they can become a leader. They're already doing it. They're already eldering, if you will. And the body, it's interesting, and I've watched this and observed this over the years, the body already, rec- they recognize the leaders. And they don't have to be appointed. They'll see who's doing what and by their character and their activities. And so I just, you just kind of sometimes as a pastor, you just kind of let this play out. So obviously, well, doesn't it sound like, you know, Titus is somewhat in a rush. He's got to go around the whole island. You know, he's got to visit all these local assemblies and get this thing taken care of. Well, then say how long it took him. You know, he's going to listen. He's going to hear. There's going to be, the leaders are, they stick out. You you can't really like, oh, wow, I wonder if he's a leader. I wonder if he's a leader. You, you, it pretty evident if you're around for a while, who's what? And I think when that's, he would recognize that. And then uh, after some prayer and consideration, obviously, uh, move on that. So that's, that's sort of how I, I see sort of playing out. Uh, and, of course, these characteristics sort of, you know, narrow the crowd a little bit. Having faithful children, no dissipation, no insubordination. Are your children under control? You know, if you can't, as he says in Timothy, if you can't rule your house, how will you rule the house of God? And so that's, you know, that's a qualifier. And then again, verse 6, or verse 7 rather, he must be blameless. You want the idea that there's nothing in my life that could cause people to continually stumble because of who I am and my character. That's the idea behind that. He must be blameless. You know, well, he's a great teacher, but boy, what about this? You know, you you don't want nothing. You don't want that. It sort of taints the whole thing. You know, it's the fly in the ointment type of thing. Uh, The the fifth thing we see here uh, is not self-willed. And, of course, the idea behind that is is con- one who considers himself sort of self-important. There's a, a stubborn a stubbornness there in pursuing their own will. And, that, and that's how Luther uh, sort of interpreted this, is stubbornness. And it is there in the, in the original. Um, so uh, not self-willed, uh, not quick-tempered. Now, by the way, that not self-willed is one of the ones that is added here. That is not in Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3. Uh, the sixth characteristic is not quick-tempered or short-tempered or somebody that just easily just goes off, the, you know, flies off the handle and, you know, the, you know loses their cool. Can't have that. You'll, you'll, you'll intimidate the sheep. You'll, you'll make the, the flock... Um, uneasy, you know. Well, what's he going to do next? You know, <laughs> who's going to get hit by the shrapnel next? You know. Um, the seventh there's not given to wine, and again, here's another one that that um, you know is a, sometimes these things are sort of can be kind of cultural. Uh, not given to wine means. Uh, and literally, it's not a drunkard. It doesn't say that a pastor or a leader cannot have wine or intoxicating drink. They just can't be a drunkard. There, therein lies the thing about self-control. Now, for me, you know, on a personal note, and I don't lay this on others. It's just me because of my past. Uh, I do not partake of alcoholic beverage. I, I have no desire for it. I, I haven't done that since I was 18, so um, I'm not, I don't have any desire to go in that direction. If I would, I, I my thought was, I <clears throat> let's say I go out with my wife and we're sitting in a restaurant and, you know, I've got a, you know, I'm drinking a glass of wine with my 
meal or whatever and and then somebody from the church walks in and and they were previously an alcoholic and then they see me drinking wine and they think well they're by my activities well the pastor does it well it's probably okay for me to and then the next thing you know he's back in sin again I've stumbled him and so I just it's just easier not to and I don't really taste buds aren't adapted to it anyway so um anyway but I don't I don't lay that on other people. You know, the, the little phrase the Lord gave me years ago was in, when it comes to liberty about certain things, because we all have different consciences and we're from different cultures potentially, and so there's going to be difference of what we have the liberty to do and what we abstain from. And we don't really have a right to judge one another in these kinds of things. But the phrase that the Lord has given me when it you know, and if I would see others exercising their liberties in certain areas, and rather than judge them, which I stay away from, I don't have uh, that kind of knowledge where I can be the judge. You know, only God has that. But the phrase is, "Others can, you cannot." And so I would simply just say that to myself: "Others can, you cannot," and I'm content with that. And I don't mind living the way I live in this area, particularly. Because the last thing I want to do is to stumble one of my brothers. It's tough enough leading a church, let alone having issues to have to work through of you know maybe stumbling someone because you're exercising, quote, unquote, a, a liberty. It's just better not to go there. That's just not the fight I want to fight. Not given to wine. Number eight, not violent. Now, this is an interesting, uh, to me, an interesting quality, character quality, literally means bully. And of course, we all understand who, what bullies are. And um, to really handle a bully, the best thing to do is just hit them, hit them back with the same stuff. And they usually just find out really what they are. <laughs> They're just cowards appearing to be strong, right? But uh, bullies, generally speaking, have a problem with boundaries you know they in relationships they they don't really understand that they don't have the right to cross certain areas and and violate people's free will they try to force their will and what they think is right upon the individual and i uh, i've if you've ever been manipulated and bullied i probably don't need to explain any more than that it's not a very good position to be you know you get offended and you decide, well, I'm going to go talk to this person about the thing that they've done that's offended me. And so you, you're all prepared in your mind and your heart, and you go in and you have the meeting because you're going to get this off your chest because you don't want to be carrying stuff like this. You know this, you got, you know this scenario, right? You guys have all lived long enough to have this experience, I'm sure. And then you go in and you have the meeting, and you try to get out what you're trying to say, and then you leave the meeting thinking, Wait, what just happened? <laughs> I'm still feeling the same way. I just got handled again. And I got manip- I got bullied. And so this is, um, there's just an overstepping of the boundaries and, and uh, not allowing people to uh, make a free choice. And that's what manipulation is all about. Uh, there are those who are are quick to argue. This is sort of, kind of a, a, a character or sort of an overflow of this, this uh, attribute is that people are quick to argue and find fault. Uh, they, take the posi- they take the opposite position just to, to be different, I suppose. Uh, they, uh, they sort of enjoy being disagreeable. Rather, you know, well, that's black. Well, actually, it's gray. You know, it's like, does it really matter? You know, there's just just an edge like that that just, you, as a leader, you don't want to have that quality. That's just not something that uh, is appreciated. Now, to a greater degree, obviously, when this really gets out of control for people who are in positions of leadership, we, not, we don't need to look any further than the Pharisees. These guys were classic manipulators. And what does the Scripture say about them. Jesus made a comment about the ministry of John the Baptist. He said, up until John's ministry, 
The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. The religious leadership in Israel had become in, you know, ingrained, and they were lording it over the people. And Jesus called, you know, obviously Jesus called these guys out uh, regularly, and especially at the end of his ministry, which actually got him put on the cross. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. I mean, he laid it down, you know, Matthew 23. But they were manipulated the people, and they used the law. And this is what bullies do. They used the law. They lay the law down, and they, fear, through fear and intimidation, control people. It, bullies, to them, it's all about control. It's all about their ideas and about their control to get their agenda. Because if you look at this list, not only uh, this whole idea about not being violent, it's there's quick-tempered, there's self-will. They they're all seem to be kind of tied together here. Uh, and Paul very wisely breaks these nuances down for us. Not greedy for money. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that if the pastor enjoys getting paid that he's greedy. It's not, that's not the, the, what's insinuated here is that for dishonest gain. And uh, we, we do have a problem with that. That's one of the reasons I read the scripture in Revelation. I am rich and increased with goods. What do we see going on in the church today? I mean, how many airplanes, private jets, do you need for your ministry? And you can probably part with one of those yachts if need be, you think, maybe? I mean, this stuff is just, it's just completely out of hand. Fact is, I just have an idea that some of those guys are really not true servants of God. And, but God will judge that. You use the things of God for your personal gain. May God have mercy upon you. And may he give you a wake-up call before you stand before the judgment seat. Because the result will not be good. Better to hear the music now and repent than to continue on in your folly. Not greedy for money. Hospitable. This is a great one. One who jo- enjoys guests. You know, do you, do you enjoy people? I mean, that's really, you know, I heard a guy say years ago, and it sort of stuck with me. In the ministry, it wouldn't be so bad if it wouldn't be for the people. Say that again. You know, that's what it's about. It's about the people, isn't it? You know, do you enjoy being with people. Now there's times when you, you know, you're spent, you're, you know, let's be honest. I'm done. I need to go. Can I take a nap now? You know, the, you 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 do get tired of of working. You don't get tired of the work, but you get tired of working. And but the idea of being hospitable is the one who enjoys guests. You you just have a welcoming spirit about you that hey, you know, that you know, I think that's an important quality and Paul seemed to think so. Then the eleventh uh, on the list here is lover of good men, and this is in addition to uh, what's there in Timothy three, First uh, Timothy three, and so this is just simply a man who loves what is good, and that's across the board: a lover of good men, a lover of good things, a lover of good good works, those kinds of things. Um, you're it, really that is an outflow of a character quality that is looking for the good in people rather than their faults. Now, if you go back to the bully guy, that guy is probably going to be the type of guy that he's going to be looking for the faults in other people. It's sort of the abuse of the gift of discernment, maybe. But God hasn't called us to judge one another, because if we judge, we're going to bite and devour one another, and eventually, as Paul says, we'll consume one another. Leave judgment to God. And so the guy's doing something, or he's not all that you think he ought to be. Well, you know what? That's not, who are you to judge another man's servant? You know, give that, give that to God type of thing. So lover of good men, they look for what's good. And then number 12, sober-minded. The idea of being prudent, being wise. And it includes being thoughtful. There are other, this is the idea of, of, of what epitomized Jesus of being a servant. He was others-centered. 
It wasn't always about, it was never about Jesus. In fact, if you go through the Gospels, the only thing he ever says about himself is that he's meek and lowly in heart. That's about all you find. That's Jesus' self-analysis and that's all you get. The rest of it, you just have to see, wow, there's a whole lot more than that about Jesus, right? But that's all he ever said about himself. And he is. He didn't, over, he didn't overstate it, did he? Sober-minded, thoughtful, self-controlled. It's a very, very rich word, by the way. And then number 13, just. The idea of, of righteous. This person that we're putting in leadership should be very devout. They're not playing games in their relationship with God. It isn't a Sunday-only type of relationship. Like, I did my God thing this week. Check onto my activities. Or, oh, not checking it this week. I've got other things to do. We'll catch you next week. You know, that's not devotion. That's <laughs> something else. <laughs> Just. It's the guy who's aligning himself with excellence. The high, high morals. High, things that are esteemed by God. They seek to align themselves with those kinds of things. And number 14, holy. The idea there is purity. Uh, again, it's sort of tied in there with the just. It's, it's devout in nature. It's just, it comes naturally because the person has been born again and they love God and they appreciate what God has done for them and it just, it just has taken over their life. Number 15, self-controlled. Temperate. And this is the in the area of emotions. You know, um, you've got your emotions under control. You know, you're not an impulsive guy. You know, the sanguine. You know, Mister All Over the Map. <laughs> you know, you, there's 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 self control there. That's important. Temperate. And number sixteen, holding fast the faithful word. So the idea is. Spiritual leadership is not sharing their own opinion. Generally speaking, the responsibility of leadership is to give the congregants and the people of God God's opinion. My opinion is just, it's not, it's not worth much more than anybody else's, obviously. But God's opinion is the ultimate matter. This person in leadership should have a handle on the, a good working knowledge of the scripture so that when something is being dealt with or talked about or looking or, or something that's being looked into, what does God say? What is the Lord's perspective on that? Can that man take the situation and bring the word of God to bear upon that? That is what we're talking about. This is the kind of leadership the church needs today. And unfortunately, the church is lacking in so many ways. He, notice that he says, as he has been taught. You know, that means that person, in order to have that character quality, is one who is teachable. And to be teachable, according to James, is if we receive the word of God with meekness, we're teachable. We're, we're, we're allowing the Word of God to influence us, to transform us. To, you know, it's quite possible I could be wrong. Therefore, I need, if I need to be corrected, I can receive that. And so this is a very uh, important attitude. Good working knowledge of the Scripture. What, says, what does the Lord say about this? You know, and, and again, coming back to that whole thing about opinion if the word we used to, you know I got this drilled into me in Costa Mesa I mean it just <laughs> you know, nobody cares about what you think but always point people to the word of God if the word of God is silent it's okay to be silent if the word of God speaks to something then let's see what it says how does, how does what the scriptures say bear witness to that situation and so Always pointing people to the Word of God. Oh, what does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture say? Very important. 
So only a couple things here, the lover of good men and not self-willed were the two additions that Paul added to this list uh, beyond what he had already given to Timothy in chapter 3 of his epistle. Now in verses 10 through 16, and we'll uh, go a little quicker through this probably, uh, we see the, what the, this is who the leaders are, and now this is what the leaders do. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not, for the sake of dishonest gain. And one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So the idea... Again, when you have fallen people gathering in assembly, let's not assume that everybody in there is walking as closely to the Lord as they should. Let's just say it gently, right? There's some people that are just, they got other agendas. And there are people that just come to church, and it's sad, because it's, there's, they're looking for to expand their business opportunities. I mean, I can't imagine that, but there are people that that's all they care that they just that's a group of people, and I can you know push off my you know goods or whatever the people have less than pure motives, but here Paul is talking about the insubordinate meaning those that are that really refuse to submit to to authority and they if we're not in a have a submissive heart because the Bible talks about being submissive one to another. And it means, what does that mean, submission? Submission means coming under for the sake of order. People who do not submit and, and recognize authority, they, they're rebellious. And they're going to come under satanic attack for that kind of attitude. It's like being in an, it's like, to me, I always look at submission like an umbrella. You know, if you're, if you're in submission, you're under the umbrella. And that protects you from what? The rain. You don't get rained on. Now, if you get outside the umbrella you're going to get hammered with with raindrops and it's not going to be fun. It's the same as true as if a person who's not in submission, they're out under underneath that umbrella of God's protection, you're just you're just free game for the enemy just to pick you off and beat you up and do all kinds of nasty things to you because you're rebellious. And so this is um and you know we all have to learn lessons along those lines. But he's talking about uh how this can manifest itself. We have idle t- talkers, and they're just they're they're busy talking about stuff that doesn't amount to a hill of beans, and, and you just walk away from those kind of people. You don't have time for that. It's talk that's talk that's less than edifying. The Bible talks about it, let our speech be seasoned with salt. There's, you know, we should exhort and encourage one another. Sometimes we'll say things that sort of bite, maybe a little bit. But sometimes it's, ooh, if we receive it, it's, it's good, it's purifying. And see, that's the ministry that takes place within the body of Christ. And you can see what Paul's doing here. By addressing those issues, we're allowing the body to continue to minister it's, to itself. But if you allow some of these things to exist, and they're not confronted, I'm not talking about if someone misspeaks or says something off, a little off color, and you, know, you just don't jump on the guy. I mean... People get convicted if they have the Lord, right? They're going to, oh, we shouldn't have said that, sorry. You know, that, that's going to happen. But something that is allowed to continue, that becomes an issue, that'd be like a, a cancer in the body and that's got to be dealt with or it can lead to death in the body. Uh, so empty talk, things that are less than edifying, um, got to deal with those kind of people. And then there's those that are actually deceivers. There are wolves looking at, you know, dr- they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And how do you tell if someone's spirit is not quite right within them? How are they addressing leadership? How are they addressing others that might be 
less than they think they ought to be. There's a critical spirit there a lot of times. Uh, and then they, you know, they speak evil. They mislead. They begin to draw people after themselves. What was Paul's big concern in the church after he left? Remember on his way to the Passover in Acts 20 when he met with the elders of, there at Miletus, the elders from Ephesus, that after my departure I fear men shall rise up even from within wolves. Pastor Chuckson was asked one time what he was most concerned about after he, his departure. And that's exactly what he said. I know what's going to happen. He said there's going to be wolves come within. Going to seek to eat the sheep. So we have to, that's what leadership is there for. We're sheepdogs. We're not going to put up with that. We don't go along looking and, you know, thinking everybody's evil, but we're not, we, you know, the Lord gives discernment. We're going to watch. We're going to confront as needed. That's, what, that's our job. In this case, what was going on there was the Judaizers, the guys that were thinking, trying to bring all these new converts back under the law, and they could care less about the people. It was all about another notch on their belt. It was about what they felt was right. These, these men, these Judaizers, were the opposite of the leadership. They had the opposite character qualities of what Paul was looking for in the church leader. It was all about their agenda. So they would deceive the people. And Paul's very straightforward with Titus. Their mouths must be stopped. You know, winds of doctrine, they're going to come through the church. It seems to be happen all the time. And you just have to address the stuff. You don't need to, we don't need to be mean-spirited about it, but we can't just stick our head in the sand. Well, that's really not going on. You, you have, sometimes you have to say stuff that you don't want to say. Uh, out of, uh, because you want, it, there has to be a maintenance of the wholesomeness within the church. And when, when things are um, said to subvert or, or destroy the, the, you know, the unity in the church, or just flat out heretical, it has to be addressed. Now, as a result of that responsibility, there are some leaderships that lock it down. No spiritual gifts, nothing that's subjective, cookie cutter, this is the way it is, and, there, and the Holy Spirit couldn't get a, get a word in edgewise if he tried. Now that, that's the other, that can be how people react to that. They don't want to mess up anything. It's like, well, uh, there is a balance here. Like, for example, our, you, those of you who come on Sunday mornings, we have our Sunday morning prayer. I do realize that people could come in on Sunday morning and visit and there might be somebody that's a little more outgoing. <laughs> and they might say something or they might do something during that period of time that could make other people in the church uncomfortable. So there's risk there. But I, and here's how I, the position I take. I believe that love is vulnerable. And we are open to what God may want to do or say at any service that we have, we this is not our my church. This is His church, and He I want Him to have the freedom to do whatever the Spirit of God is leading us to do. But if somebody comes in and is contrary to that, we will address it in that moment. We won't act like it didn't happen. I didn't hear that. I, we'll, now I'm probably going to be be challenged on this, but <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have said that. You know. <laughs> But I think it's important, and for those of you who've been coming a while, you know, we we never know what's going to happen on Sunday mornings. We never know exactly what's going to happen on Wednesday nights, but because we we want to be led by the Holy Spirit. But it's always within the confines of what we have here. And if it's contrary to the Word of God, we're going to address it. And this is what Paul is expecting: those who had the character qualities were appointed to that office would do so to protect the body of Christ. That's the idea. Stop their mouth. Otherwise, they're going to subvert old houses, and then they are, they're, they're just they're trying to do it for the money, right? The motive is there. I'll close with this thought. 
I believe that what Peter talks about is that we are a royal priesthood. Not only applies to the Jewish people, but it applies to the Gentiles within the church of Jesus Christ. The reward for those who are faithful, as we read there in Revelation, is that we're going to rule and reign with Christ. He's going to share his throne with her. We're going to... What does ruling mean? Let's just break it down. You and I are going to serve the nations during the thousand-year reign. Ruling doesn't mean you, 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 know, you just sit up on your little throne and you tell everybody else what to do. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Jesus was the greatest servant of all, and what did he do? He washed feet. He touched leprous people. He raised the dead. He did a lot of what untidy type things. We're going to serve. That's what that means. We're going to serve. We're going to wash feet during that thousand. And that's the, the he who serves is greatest among you. And Jesus is the greatest servant of all. Think about this. He's going to rise up and serve us at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Isn't that an amazing thing? You know, we want to think, oh, Lord, wait, hold on. I should be serving you. No, no. There's a blessing. There's something there in God's mind and heart. God is a servant. He loves to serve. He loves to to give of himself. And this is what we learn. And so as the church, we're a royal priesthood. We're slaves for the king, the king of kings. And so one of the things that being part of that priesthood is we offer a prayer. And so that's why we lace our all of our services with prayer. Prayer on Sunday morning, prayer on Wednesday nights. So important that we learn how to it's the greatest weapon we have. I don't know about you. We're done here. I don't like what's going on right now in the world. I'm very disturbed. Much of what's going on is very disturbing. But my thoughts are not going to change it. My grumbling and complaining about it is not going to change it. But I can tell you what will change it is our prayers. And so let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for some of this crazy stuff going on to cease. Maybe God's using it to wake people up. I don't know. I, I, I wish I understood a little bit better than I do. But I'm very concerned about it. And it's, you know, it, it has bred so much fear and insecurity uh, in the church, which should not be. So let's pray for that the spirit of faith and love, which casts out fear, would just really grow in our church here. May we really be the examples in the community. Like, yeah, don't really like what's going on, but I know God's in control. Don't don't even, you know. There's some things you just can't talk about and it feel and then feel good about after you've talked about it. <laughs> What's going on makes me feel absolutely rotten after I've talked about it. So I'm I'm learning just like you know what. There's nothing new under the sun. It's not going to do any good for me to know anymore. I know what's going on, but I can tell you right now, I'm not happy with it, and I'm going to see something done. So I'm going to pray. <laughs>